Man, worship was good today. Can anybody else encouraged by what just happened? Uh, man, I want to honor our team. You know, that doesn't just happen. You know, that, that, that's hard work, that's preparation, that's leaning into the heart of God for you. And then we get to walk into a moment that happens like we just experienced. And, and I don't know, it was like from the first note, the first drum beat, it was like an open invitation into the throne room of grace. So worship team, thank you, wherever you are. We love you. Um. I want to do something a little bit different and unique over these next couple of weeks. If you've been with us, you know that last week we just tied up a series of talks that we called The Wall. How many of you, uh, God did something in your heart through those weeks as we leaned into what does it mean to be a people that has a faith that perseveres? And the whole genesis of that series was birthed out of Hebrews 12, verse 1, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And what we learned is that although we might feel like we're hitting a wall in a pain marathon in our lives, we're not going to allow what we're feeling to determine how we're believing. We're not going to allow what we're feeling to determine what we are believing. And, and I want you to understand that the wall series was focused around us learning how to break through the walls that we feel around us. The, the wall of pain, the wall of complexity, the wall of chaos, the wall of fear. Whatever you might be feeling is pressing around you. There is grace for you to see God do something in you so that his glory can break through you. And the wall series was all about what does it look like for us to be a people that perseveres and sees the breakthrough, the promised breakthrough that we have as followers of Jesus. Because we are called to focus on him and run the race that's marked out for us. Are you with me? Our eyes stay locked on who he is, and we run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us because there's grace for your race. But when you start trying to run other people's races, you will find yourself outside of the grace that's been allotted to you for your race, and you will run into a wall. God is doing things in you in this season that he's going to require of you in the next season. So it is important that we don't stop when we feel the opposition, but we press on towards the goal. We want to break through the walls that are pressing against us because perseverance does things in us 
And it creates, according to Romans 5, that when we persevere, that hope is built in us and character is built in us. And it says this in verse 5, that, that hope does not put us to shame. But God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. We, we have to stay the course. We have to fight the fight. And we have to break through the walls that might feel like they're closing in on our faith so that we can do all that God has called us to do. And the reason why I wanted to spend a little bit of time reviewing where we came from is because I want you to understand that there's a connection in where we came from in this series that we're going. You see, the wall series was all about how do we break through the things that feel like are challenging us. And where we're going to be going over the next couple of weeks is we are going to be talking about what does it look like for us to build a wall so that we can make it. The last series was about breaking through walls. This series is about building walls. How many of you know that it's the same word, but they're different things? Can I get an amen? Are you tracking with me? What we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is we're going to be looking into the book of the Bible, Nehemiah. And, 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 and Nehemiah is important for us right now, right here, because the flyover of the book of Nehemiah is that you have a man that was burdened for a people to see what was broken restored. Now, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're coming from, how old or young that you find yourself today. Everyone is rebuilding in 2021. Something was dismantled. Something in your life was broken. There was a change, a shift. It affected all of us. So we find ourselves in a season collectively across our nation, really globally, where we are having to rebuild everything. And what I want us to see is that we need to be strategic in how we build. Paul would say that he is a wise master builder, and I say that we should be the same. My desire is not, over these next couple of weeks, that you would think that I am going to go verse by verse through the entire book of Nehemiah, okay? That's a beautiful thing to do. I personally love to do that, but I want to get us all on the same playing field here because sometimes when you hear, man, we're going to go through a book of the Bible, depending on your church experience, then you think that we're going to be walking through verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and that's a great way to study the Bible. But what I am hoping to do over these next couple of weeks is not just study the Bible for you, but give you tools to learn how you can study the Bible for you. And so what we're going to be doing is using the book of Nehemiah to highlight some themes and reveal to us some tools so that we can be a church that are Bible readers. And oftentimes, I think we find ourselves with a desire to be a people that read the Bible, but then you dive into it. You're like, man, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to get into it. And then you just open it up and you're like in Leviticus. And you start reading it and you're like, man, I'm reading this to get confident in my faith and clear in what I believe, but I feel like I'm getting more confused. Anybody else? 
right? And so it's important that we understand how to lean into this book so that the desire that we have to be a people, that our theology is built on biblical truth and not cultural hype. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What's happening in culture right now is that we have a church that does not know the word of God. They just know the, 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 the podcast that they subscribe to. And so you hear something on your podcast that is not biblical, that could be conspiracy theory, and you confuse your personal disruption with a biblical conviction, and then there is chaos in what we believe. It is imperative that we read the Bible for what it is, and that we study the Bible so that we have a solid theological undercurrent in our life because the Bible is not telling a series of stories. The Bible is telling one story. Now, often you guys have heard me talk about this, and the reason that I talk about it is because it matters. It's so important because you will be led astray if you get duped into believing that you can grab one scripture out of this book, manipulate it into what you want it to be. Right? But that is impossible to do when you see this as one story. Because if your one principle that you want to prove out of one scripture does not line up to the greater story that God is telling from Genesis to Revelation, then you need to check your revelation. It is imperative that we understand that there is an undercurrent in the word of God, and that undercurrent is pointing us to the person of Jesus. The Bible is not a series of events. The, the Bible is a beautiful mosaic of tons of events that are saying the same thing, which makes it unbelievably powerful. Look, I don't know if you have experienced this, but I can't get my family to agree on the movie that we are going to watch. But then you have an entire group of people that are scattered across the world over thousands of years saying the exact same thing. And that story is a beautiful story of a creative creator God who created you and he created me so that we would have a relationship with him, that we would walk with him face to face, that we would not just know his ways, but we would feel his breath. We would know his voice. But sin separated us from God. The plan of God was stripped from us in the depravity of the human condition. And therefore, a rescue mission from heaven to earth was put into motion where the Son of God, sitting at the right hand of the Father, came down, left the privilege of heaven to enter into the brokenness of earth so that the depravity that we walk in does not have to be our future. That we can receive his grace and be forgiven of our sin and all that he intended originally becomes what we're walking in naturally. This is the big story of God. This is what God is telling us over and over and over again. And he uses people groups and situations and all sorts of different things that we're going to encounter throughout the book to tell us that story. Are you still with me? So what we are going to do is that we are not going to walk verse by verse through Nehemiah. We are going to grab themes 
from Nehemiah, and we're going to allow those themes to take us into an approach to how to study the Word of God, to find Jesus and the meta narrative of Scripture so that we can be a people that has a rocked up theology in the Word of God, and therefore we begin to shape culture versus culture shaping our theology. You can tweet that one. Something that has helped me historically in trying to learn how to be a Bible reader and, a, and, a, and, and someone who studies the word of God is beginning to understand the context on which the events that I might be reading about were unfolding. Getting the historical understanding of what was happening on the peripheral of what I am reading helps color in the picture, if you will, that, that I'm encountering through the word of God. In Nehemiah, what we're gonna find is Nehemiah 1 opens with Nehemiah, the namesake of the book, hearing the state of the city of Jerusalem, his hometown, and it is in total disarray. Now, Jerusalem is and has always been a special place. Uh, it's been a spiritual homeland for the Jewish people since the 10th century. And for us Gentiles, those of non-Jewish descent, the new Jerusalem is used as a metaphor for heaven, our spiritual homeland. And Nehemiah hears in Nehemiah 1 verse 3, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, one of the rhythms that we're going to find all over the Bible is the rhythm of what is called the deprived human condition. I hear the ring as well, but we have really great people in the back and they're working fearlessly for you. Let's just clap for him because it's a hard job. You know what I'm saying? Bless, bless you. This rhythm of the deprived human condition looks like this. There's the kindness of God towards his people. Then there's the call of God for them. You have the kindness of God that initiates to his people. Then you have a word, the call of God, the direction of God. This is what I have for you. This is where you're going. And then the fall of the people of God from what they were called to do. This happens all the time. The kindness of God, the call of God, the fall of the people of God. And if I can reach back just for a couple of weeks ago, they fall into the things that hinder and the sin that so easily entangles. And then because of where they find themselves, because of the decisions that they've made, the consequences of their behavior leads them into a season of devastation, captivity, and ruin. This is what happens when we step outside of God's plan for our lives. We are then subjected to the consequences of our actions. So the people of God, having turned from the call of God, falling from the purposes of God, find themselves in the consequences of their decisions in captivity, brokenness, and ruin. And then there's always an invitation from the Father. 
This is the rhythm that you will find all over the Old Testament. The kindness, the call, the fall, the devastation, and then the invitation. This is all over the Old Testament. God will then initiate with, he'll give an invitation to his people, regardless of how far that they've gone, regardless of how broken everything is around them. And he gives them an opportunity to repent to him, to turn from the things that crushed them, and then restoration begins to happen in them. Then the restoration brings a season of prospering and then the people repeat. This is, this is what you will find if you read from, from Genesis to, to all the way through the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. This is a very clear rhythm that the people of God biblically walk through. And it is a very clear rhythm that we walk through today. And what's beautiful about understanding that God is telling one story and not just a series of stories is that, yes, you will find yourself reading about circumstances that might be very different than your own, but you will also find that the challenges are the same. And so this pattern of the kindness of God and then the call of God, the fall of the people of God, the devastation because of what they've done, the invitation to return, repentance from the people, and then they find themselves in prospering and moving forward into all that God has called them to be. This rhythm is a rhythm that we see often as we study the Bible. And in Nehemiah, this rhythm was at the point of invitation repentance, and prospering. That's where we enter the story. The people had been devastated and in captivity and in ruin. And then we find ourselves interjecting Nehemiah 1 into this moment where God is beginning his invitation for the people to, to turn from what had crushed them and begin to walk into who he has called them to be. You see, the Jewish people in 597 BC were attacked by the Babylonians and Jerusalem was completely destroyed. It was at this time where the walls of Jerusalem were broken. Then what ended up happening is that in 539 BC, the Persians came and they overthrew the Babylonians. What happened when the Persians came and overthrew the Babylonians, they did not repair the city, but they liberated the Jewish people from captivity and welcomed them back into Jerusalem. So although they did not fix what the Babylonians broke, they welcomed the people. The invitation to return began when the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. Are you tracking with me? And this is what happens. This is the historical context of what happens right before we get into Nehemiah 1. When Nehemiah hears a report from his friends who, have, who had taken the Persians up on their invitation, go back into the city. You are welcome to make your home back in Jerusalem. And when they did that, Nehemiah gets a report of the state of the city. Now, this is very interesting in and of itself because Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. 
Nehemiah could have left and gone to Jerusalem. But Nehemiah decided to stay and to serve the Persian king and wait for his name. I practiced it all week, and I'm nervous right now. Artaxerxes. Yes. Nailed it. What's interesting about the fact that Nehemiah stayed as the cupbearer gives us an insight that that God is oftentimes telling stories that are bigger than ourselves. God is all the time doing something in you that is way bigger than what you can even see. Nehemiah... We don't know why he did not leave and go back to Jerusalem. But what we are going to find is the type of man that Nehemiah was and that he was a leader and that he was a tender-hearted leader that had a heart to honor God and to be obedient to what God had spoken to him. So based on the character that we will encounter of who Nehemiah is as we march our way through Nehemiah 1, we can definitely assume that he prayed and said, God, what should I do? Should I go to Jerusalem or should I stay as the cupbearer of the king? And I believe that what is happening here is that God is giving us a window into the power of the purpose of the position that he's put us in. How many of you know that your position has a purpose? No matter what it is, no matter how small you feel like it is, no matter how insignificant you might perceive it to be, your position in your world has a purpose. Your position in your job has a purpose. Your position in your family has a purpose. Your position in your school has a purpose purpose. And, and, and how I know this to be true is because what we're going to find is that Nehemiah had an Esther moment. Esther is another hero in the Old Testament. Esther found herself in a similar situation, unbeknownst to her, in a position that only God could have put her to be a voice of wisdom into a king that was against her people. And it says in Esther 4.14, and who knows, but maybe you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Hear me. God has you where he has you for the kingdom of heaven to come through you. And let me speak just really quick to all my passionate dreamers and leaders in the house for a minute. You are my favorite people. I am one of you. Don't fight where God has you. Don't fight the people who are over you. It's the wrong fight. Don't fight where God has you because where he has you is bigger than you. It's bigger than you. And you might be in a position that you cannot see how your position lines up with your purpose. But the story that God is telling is bigger than you. And he has positioned you for a such a time as this Moment, And I want you to write this down because this little phrase is going to help you. And we're going to come back to it in a little bit. Your position has a purpose. Your position has a purpose. Nehemiah began to hear from those who had went back to Jerusalem 
that the city that represented so much more than just a city was in total disarray. And it says this in verse four, that after Nehemiah began to hear about the destruction, it says this, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now, what I want to do is I want to lean into the prayer that Nehemiah prayed because we too hear daily of the state of our nation, the brokenness of our culture, the corruption and the politicizing of everything and the weight of the state of the city that we live in, the culture that we live in at times can feel so heavy and so hopeless that we just weep under the weight of what's happening. But Nehemiah did not simply sit under the weight of disappointment, frustration, and heartbreak. He turned his pain into intercession, and that intercession holds in it a process to restoration. How many of you in the room want to see restoration happen in your life or in our city? All right. I think all of us. How many of you online joining the party are like, you know what? I want restoration to happen in me. I want restoration to happen through me. I want Austin to be a beacon of hope and life in our state. Uh, I want Austin to be a, a beacon of hope and light in, in, in our nation. And, and I want to believe that restoration can happen that the division that we're walking in can be healed, that the pain that we're experiencing, that God can do what only he can do in those places, and that happens only through supernatural restoration. Are you hearing me? So I want us to listen to the prayer that Nehemiah prayed because within this prayer, there are steps to move from where we are into the restoration that we're called to see. It says this, verse, chapter one, verse five. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Man, what a, this is a good way to start. You know, just underline that. And maybe you should start your prayer with that on your drive home. Amen. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as their dwelling for my name. You see the rhythm? They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. 
I was the cupbearer to the king. Here is the process to transformation that I want you to see in this prayer. Verse 6, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Step one to seeing restoration happen in you and through you is repent of the sin that is in you. This is an unpopular sermon to preach in 2021. None of us have it right. Okay? None of us have it right. The stronger you think you're right, I have seen historically proves that you're probably wrong. Nobody can escape repenting for the wickedness that we have done and that we have done towards each other and done towards the Lord. Here's just a little tip. Your marriage is having difficulty right now. This one's free. Stop finding what's wrong with your spouse and start repenting for what's wrong with you. This is a a marriage seminar. Be encouraged. Stop trying to find what's wrong with everybody else. Start dealing with what's wrong with you. Repent of what you need to repent of. Because repentance is step one to seeing restoration happen in you and step one to seeing restoration happen through you. The road back into all that God has for us always starts with us owning our junk, turning from it and receiving the grace that God has for us. Always. And what repentance does it always leads us to where Nehemiah points us in his prayer. And that is what I'm going to call step two in this process of restoration. And, 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 and that, that is this. It's remembering the promise. Remembering the promise. Verse eight, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are from the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place that I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. There is power in reminding yourself what God has for you. There's power in remembering the promises that God has spoken over you. And if you're like, man, I don't even know if I have a promise. I don't even know if I have a promise from God. I'm about to give you one. Revelation 21, verse 5. And he, speaking of Jesus, who was seated on the throne, said, behold, I am making all things new. Now listen to this. This will preach. And he also said, write this down. I have wanted biblical backing for note takers in church for 15 years. Revelation 21, verse 5. Write these words down. They're trustworthy and true. When we remember the promises of God, our hearts are filled with faith, just like the first time that we heard them. The power in remembering the promise is that it's not just something that happens out here. It's something that happens in here. 
One of the other rhythms that we see throughout the Old Testament is God would oftentimes have the people of God build altars to remember events of breakthrough. So as they were wandering, they would then pass by these altars and it would trigger, oh yeah, do you remember when God delivered us? Because sometimes it's remembering what God has done and what he said in the middle of a fight for your life that keeps you pressing on through the race that he has for you. We have to remember the promises of God. Again, this just reiterates the fact that we have to be Bible readers. How many of you know that God's promises are always true? So if you find yourself in this room as a follower of Jesus, every promise that was given to anyone in this book is a family promise. It's a family promise. And you're like, man, I don't know if I understand how to hear the voice of God. I don't understand if I even know how to do that. Man, I need to, I want to encourage you, go to Chris Pletcher's growth track. Get some practical tools that can help you. But until that happens, grab some promises from this book and hold on to these things. So when you find yourself in a fight for your life, you're not trying to find strength. You're trying to find scripture. When life gets hard, it's not about being tough. It's about being biblical. Step two, remember the promise. Step three in this process of seeing transformation happen in us and through us. Understand your position has a purpose. Your position has a purpose. You never know what God is going to do through you when you're obedient to be where he put you. Nehemiah ended this prayer with a declaration, I was the cupbearer to the king. I was the cupbearer to the king. God had placed Nehemiah where he needed needed him, but where he placed him was not just a place, it was a picture. He was the cupbearer. Powerful way to read the Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible that we're in. It's the the pre-Jesus part of the Bible. It is to read it looking for Jesus. Because again, this is one story, not a series of stories. And so we can find him or a promise of him in everything that happens in this book. And so when Nehemiah says, I'm the cupbearer to the king, can we go a little deeper in that? Are you up for that? Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, which means that he would sit at the right hand of the king. And he would drink the wine of the king to make sure that the wine was not poisoned So Nehemiah was willing to give his life for the king. Jesus also sits at the right hand of the father. Willing to stand between humanity and the father's purity. And the cup in the Old Testament 
is often used as a symbol of the wrath of God. And Jesus was willing to drink the cup of God's wrath because of our sin, to drink the poison of our world, and that poison was going to kill him so that it wouldn't kill us. Matthew 26, verse 39, Jesus has this moment before he's arrested and beaten and listen to what he prays. My father, is it possible? May this cup, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Let's keep Diving in, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king and Jesus was the cupbearer to the father. And the position that God had put Nehemiah in was a position in a palace. Although he was a servant, he lived in a palace and everything was made perfect for him and Nehemiah was coming to a place where he was going to have to leave the comforts of the palace and enter into the brokenness of the city so that the restoration process that God had for him could begin to work through him. Jesus too was at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he chose to leave the comfort and protection of heaven to come to the broken devastation of earth to see what is broken made whole. To make this picture even clearer, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they, they were celebrating Passover. Passover. And Passover was a feast that was celebrated by the Israelites to remember, because we have to remember. It was a feast that they would celebrate to remember that, that God had allowed them to escape slavery from the Egyptians. And there was this massive exodus that happened from Egypt as the people of God began their journey to the promised land that God had for them. And one of the things that God did in this beautiful rescue mission from the people being in bondage, right? The invitation to repent and then there's restoration and then a season of prospering. What God did is that he said, look, if you paint blood on your doorpost, if you put lamb's blood on your doorpost, then, then there's just going to be this angel of death that is going to come. But, but if you have blood on your doorpost, if you're covered by the blood, then that angel of death is going, going to pass over you. And so they would celebrate the fact that their obedience allowed them to receive the grace of God so that the, the consequences of, of those that were punishing them were not their consequences because they were covered by the blood. And so they would celebrate this Passover feast and they would come together and they would have this, these amazing meals together. And the whole meal was telling a story of what happened again because there's power in remembering what God 
has done because it always fuels what God's doing. And Jesus celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples allows us to see the power of him being our cupbearer. As he then places himself in the cup, as a picture that although he will drink the poison of our sin, we can drink the grace of his forgiveness. And he looked at his disciples, and it says in Matthew 26, verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Understand this moment happened every Passover, but that last sentence was new. This is my body broken for you. That Passover that you celebrated, there's a great Passover coming. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. The covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Yet yeah, Jesus took a cup and he said, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus drank the poison of the wrath of God so that we can drink the grace of God. See, Nehemiah wasn't just the cupbearer. Jesus is our cupbearer. You hear what I'm saying? We want to end our time today by taking communion together. And I think you got communion cups when, when you walked in. If you didn't, I think some of our amazing team is, would love to give you one. Just raise your hand and these amazing people will hook you up. The power in communion is that it is a built-in rhythm into the life of the church where, where we can walk through the process of transformation and restoration as we remember who Jesus is. What communion is, is basically a moment where we can enter into what Nehemiah gave us to be a people that repent of our sin, that remember the promises that God has given us and then understand that there's grace for the position that he's placed us in. That we don't just need to endure where we are, but we need to receive where we are because your position has a purpose. And so in a minute, our, our band is, is, is going to begin to play. And we're just going to create some space where we can all repent, remember, and receive. Are you hearing me? And, and, and as we do that, I want you to understand that communion is a big deal to God. The reason it's a big deal is because, look... You know, God is not into religious ritual. God is into pictures of his relationship. 
So this is not just something that we do at church. This is a powerful moment where Jesus himself gave us an invitation into receiving him in a beautiful, unique way. And it's a big deal to him. And therefore here at this house, it's a big deal to us. And so if Jesus is not your Lord and your Savior, or if you're in a wrestle right now where you're like, man, I don't even know how I'd answer that question. Look, do not take communion. Use this moment to allow God to speak to your heart. Because it matters, man. It matters. I want us all to do some business with God. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but you know what our culture needs is people that will repent, not people that will fight. People that will remember, not people that will complain. People that will receive their position and not question it. Because transformation is going to happen. Are you hearing me? Restoration is going to happen. And the invitation for us is to be a people that repent, that remember and receive where he has for us. And I'm going to ask that God just begin to speak to you. I want you to close your eyes just where you're at. Just sit down. Say, God, would you search our hearts? Lord, would you move over us right now? Would you show us the areas in our lives where we need to repent? God, would you show us the areas in our lives where we need to, we need to come to you and we need to repent of the wickedness that, that is in us, the, the wickedness that we've done to others. God, would, would you allow us to be a people that, that repent of it, that just say, no, we're going to turn, we're, we're going to change, we're going to see heaven get bigger in us than the darkness that we've allowed to creep in around us. And, and Lord, I'm asking that, that we would be a people that remember what you've done. We remember who you are. We remember what you've said, God, and that you would, you would show us with confidence that you've put us where you put us for a purpose. And Lord, I pray that each and every person here or watching this online would feel the encouragement and the strength of God where they are to understand that God has a plan for them there. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So as we begin to sing, you'll find on the top of that little cup, there's a little piece of bread. I want you just to do business with God and maybe with your family or maybe by yourself. I want you just to take communion as you feel led. And, and, and what I want you to do is the band is gonna start worshiping. And, and I want you to, after you take communion, I want you to immediately go into worship and allow God God to hear the power of your praise. So Jesus, here we are. Speak to us. Speak to us, 